0: Hello and welcome to the Irish Tech News podcast. Today you are listening to Rhea McGuire and I have with me Rebecca Seal. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I suppose the first question and I always think it's kind of important is what is your background for those who don't know you? Who are you? <laughs> um
1: so I'm a I'm actually a food and drink writer and a personal development writer kind of rolled into one. Um so I have a weird two track career. Um and I Yeah, so I'm a journalist and broadcaster and the author of um, quite a few books, including my more recent one called um, Solo, How to Work Alone and Not Lose Your Mind, which I wrote just before the pandemic and has turned out to be more relevant than I might have wanted, frankly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. How did you get into the writing that you do? Um, where was there a logical process from an early start or have you always been interested in writing about food and (laughs)
1: um I think no would be the straight answer my um my career path has been quite a kind of wiggly one um I studied international relations and international peace and security um which I have never used um (laughs) apart from the of way in which it teaches you to be analytical. Um but I probably could have done many different degrees to have (laughs) to have done that. Um, (laughs) And then I spent a couple of years after that uh, working in restaurants and um getting work experience, latterly getting work experience on newspapers. Um, And then it was kind of coincidental that my first job was on um the observer's food section, Observer Food Monthly. Mm -hmm. There for six years. And then I went freelance and I've been freelance for about 12 years. and the so that was all food and drink stuff mainly. And then the personal development thing came about because I basically had a period of something very close to burnout about six years into being freelance, where I realized that I had um, managed to kind of create a life for myself that was really only about work Um, and I was working incredibly hard maybe six sometimes seven days a week I was working on a weekly tv show 48 weeks a year which I loved but which also meant that because I was doing so many other things and writing books at the same time um, that I just was doing these like insane hours completely insane and um, so when I started looking for help I kind of went looking for books and just sort of general information about how to figure out how to manage this weird thing of working by yourself and not having much structure and not having like a career plan and no obvious path. And, you know, you're not going to make partner or kind of become a director or whatever. Um, and um, and then I just realized that firstly, there wasn't that much out there for people like me. Secondly, that I was probably not alone in this feeling that there would probably be other people who were having the same experience of solitary work. And that's where the book idea came from. And then it took a couple of years um, to get it off the ground. And I wrote the majority of it in 2019. Um, and, then, and then that stuff has all sort of flown because basically probably because of the pandemic I just thought it was going to be a book that would be useful for other freelancers and a few remote workers yeah. um and then and then 2020 happened <laughs> yes. um and now I'm in this like lovely but surreal position where I give workshops and um talks um I did a big talk for loads of students last week in fact um and for people all over the world and for massive organizations sometimes about how to cope with working by yourself Um, because I think the the difficulties and opportunities are pretty much the same regardless of whether you're um, somebody who is freelance or someone who's employed but working from home Um, or indeed if you're a student you know there are so many ways in which um, working by yourself is kind of very specific and I've just done a lot of research into (laughs) into how to manage all of that stuff so so yeah so that's that's the the sort of um brief version there's a lot more kind of difficult difficult moments and trickiness in it and I I always want to emphasize that it hasn't been a particularly um straight path and that there have been some real like blind alleys in it because I think it's important when you hear people's career stories that they don't go like yeah and then I turned into you know Jeff Bezos or you know Musk or whatever you know I want people to know that things like for example I only wrote the proposal for solo because when I came back from my second maternity leave I basically didn't have any work at all for about six months um uh, you know I'd lost a bunch of clients probably not to do with the fact that I was having kids just coincidentally um and um and I, so I didn't have anything to do <laughs> so I wrote a book proposal which turns into yeah. having been a brilliant thing to have done but you know I just always like to emphasize that these these journeys that you see like on paper are not as clear cut as, as they might as, appear
0: as linear as they
1: knew new. <laughs>
0: nothing linear about them (laughs) yeah and then I suppose am I right to say I think I read it somewhere when I was reading about the book it took you six years to write is that uh, it didn't take six years to write well it did
1: and it didn't it depends how how you qualify writing um I did the majority I wrote the first book proposal for it in 2014 (laughs) that was the last (laughs) open date on the (laughs) document when I went back to it in 2019 so there was a kind of um a big Thank you. the cat Gap. I was thinking about it the whole time and collecting information and researching and kind of putting things together. But I was also going through IVF, having mm. two kids, <laughs>
0: yeah. trying to
1: run a business, trying to run a, <laughs> t- trying to run two businesses actually because I run another one with my husband. So that kind of got in the way. So it wasn't until 2019 that I I kind of got to grips with it and realised that I wanted to make it a proper thing. Um, yes. So yeah, not six years of actual typing, thankfully. <laughs> but um, kind of a collective of
0: ideas. Of- yeah to go from and then when talking you published the book was it last year yeah it came out in september 2020 in the uk
1: and europe and then february in north america yeah
0: and then kind of like do you want to expand and like what will if people want to read the book and are feeling quite this loneliness that has definitely come with covid what are what could they expect from the book?
1: Yeah sure so it's like it's very science and evidence based Um, I've interviewed loads of academics I've interviewed a lot of other solo workers about their tricks of the trade which include people like um, solo explorers for example who I felt would have an awful lot to add to the story of how to learn to be alone successfully Um, and there so it's kind of two sections it's one section setting up the, the kind of the difficulties so the kind of the overarching philosophy of work that I think we have in the kind of modern western modes of working um, that have to do with our kind of overemphasis on productivity our overemphasis on the number of hours people work and overemphasis on money as a way of um, assessing our success levels and kind of unpicking that stuff Figuring out where it comes from, um, pulling at the threads of it a bit, and saying, you know, does this actually does this actually work anymore for the way that modern work is is um, set up? Because an awful lot of it is um, leftovers from the industrial revolution, and really only relevant if the majority of people are either working in factories or are working in agriculture. Um, and you know, for for certainly, I mean, this is, this is a book for white collar workers. I will say, I will say that, um, you know you can't write for absolutely everyone. (laughs) Um, And so it does sort of speak to that way of working, but certainly in the kind of creative economies, we need to change the way that we think about work because it doesn't actually serve the ways that our brains work um, from a neuroscientific point of view to force ourselves um, to work as though we are actually machines on a factory line um, or to treat people as though they are because that's not where creativity comes from. And that's not where kind of um, invention and ingenuity come from. And that's what everybody in the creative economies need, regardless of, or, or, you know, and that's a very, very broad definition. I'm not talking about people who work in design or, or, or make quilts. I'm talking about, any job which requires a creative response to a problem. So so that's the first part. And then the second part is more about the fixes. So um, practical things that you can do in terms of say where you situate your desk and get enough daylight, um, how to feed yourself really well during a solo working day and why that's important how to take breaks and rests really seriously and um, why our brains need them Um, again a lot of this is based on kind of a better understanding than we've ever had before about how our brains and bodies function and what they need um, to really work well and effectively in the periods of time when work is allocated to happen so I'm really worried about the degree to which work bleeds into the rest of our lives because of smartphones and because if you're working from home then it's really difficult to create boundaries between those periods of time when you are and aren't working but we need them we really do our brains really don't function well um, without a kind of a boundary between those two things and that's why we're seeing a kind of upswing in burnout and that's why people are becoming finding their relationship with work more um, tangled and more difficult so so that's what the second half of the book is about and it, and you know I do want to say like I think this is an amazing opportunity for work I think this moment is a chance for us to fundamentally recalibrate the way that we think about work um, and how we do it and that we may look back on this time in 10 years or 20 years and think that this was this was like a moment akin to the industrial revolution in terms of how it changed our relationship with work. I really hope that's true. And it's kind of an extraordinary privilege to be a tiny part of that conversation.
0: And then since last year and our experiences with COVID, uh, that transition into visible, into digital, how everyone was isolated, And you didn't really write the book for COVID. (laughs) I think you've made that quite clear. It wasn't about COVID. But now looking back and having that kind of new perspective on it and how our lives have changed, is there anything you would change about the book or is there anything you would consider putting it into a second edition?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm not sure I'd change very much really because... I think that the big conversation that's happening now is really about what the future of work is going to look like. And I don't know if that's a conversation that people who work by themselves necessarily need to have within the context of a book like Solo in that... um, I'm more interested in helping people to understand the kind of the structures of work and how they impose themselves upon us and force particular patterns of behavior on us. And also understand their kind of the degree to which they can make an individual response or choice about those things. Um, And actually helping people to understand exactly who they are in the context of the work that they do and what counts and what matters to them. Um, you know, what kind of life they want to build um, rather than what kind of job they want to do necessarily. So although I think the conversation about the future of work is really, really important and um, like I'm loving being on panels talking about it, I'm not sure that it's necessarily what that book needs exactly. I just did like a few tiny revisions for the paperback version, which is coming out in um, in a month or two with a new cover and stuff, which is all really exciting. But um, yeah, I didn't feel like we needed to change it too much because I guess the other thing is I'd like people to still be reading this book in five years, and I don't want it to be a depressing <laughs> COVID-written yeah. book because yeah. at some point soon, this is the, this the COVID story will be. You know, more or less finished. Like I know we're going to live with it forever, but it's not going to be the crisis that it was last year. And I was very reluctant to put too much COVID into it because I didn't want it, didn't want it to become a COVID book. um And we don't, so like we don't need reminding,
0: do we? Yeah. Everything. <laughs>
1: um Sometimes it's yeah. nice to have a bit of breathing space away from it.
0: And then, kind of like with solo, as you said, it was talking from more of a perspective of a freelancing job. My myself, I am going into that new industry I yeah I've just graduated from college as a journalist and what they stress on a lot in college is freelancing and how it will open doors but there's always that worry kind of how to juggle life with the freelancing and how to get that job or would you have any advice for people who are looking to freelance as their way in um, any tips for them and how not to let it take over their lives. I
1: think when you're beginning out as a freelancer, it's really difficult because you, I mean, it's great and it's really fun and it's exciting. So I don't want to make it sound bad. It's not. Um, but I think it's tricky because you often have a period of time where you're kind of, you, you are going to have to work quite hard to establish yourself. And I think that's fine. I think what's difficult is learning when that's happened and stepping back from the treadmill once you don't need to be on it any longer okay. um and I I I actually think in a way that that's harder for people at the, in the middle of their career um, than it is for people at the beginning because I think when you're at the beginning of your career and chances are you're probably relatively young you're you know you're energetic you're enthusiastic you probably don't have too many responsibilities like you know you're less likely to have a mortgage and kids and stuff and that, obviously that that can have its downsides I know a lot of people would like a mortgage um but um but you know you're 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 slightly less encumbered and so you can do certain things that become a bit more difficult as you get older um and I don't want to sound like a patronizing or git as I say all of this but um it's so difficult saying stuff as an old wizened 39 year old um <laughs> but um Uh, yeah so I think it's about it's about learning how long you might need to kind of graft for and then and not it's not like you can put a time limit on it but just again keep continue to have a conversation with yourself about who you are and what you need at this exact moment in your career because that will change over and over again like the way that I work now is very different to how I worked 10 years ago and when in 10 years time when my little kids are much older I'll be working in a completely different way again so um it's it I you know it's about, for me, it's about understanding what this exact period of time in your career needs um, and what you as an individual in terms of your life need and kind of balancing those things and, and then shedding that when it becomes no longer useful. Um, and I think where I went wrong was that I was maybe, what are we thinking, like 33, 34, by the time I looked up and, and was like, wow, I've been on a treadmill for 14 years. Yes. <laughs> You know, I've been working incredibly hard for a really, really long time and is is where I've got to where I wanted to be. Did I even make a plan for where I wanted to be? What was the what was the motivation here? I seem to be only saying yes to things that pay me a lot of money. Did I really? Is that who I am? Somebody for (laughs) whom that's really important? I didn't think that was who I was. You know, um, all of that stuff. I think if you can have those conversations with yourself earlier in your career than I did and that stuff gets a bit easier Um, and I'd also say, you know, freelancing as a journalist in particular is, is, is brilliant. Um, you have to be pretty tenacious, but it's, you know, what better than being allowed to ask people really nosy questions (laughs) all the time about whatever you fancy,
0: (laughs) I mean, and get paid for it. Like, great. (laughs) yeah definitely and I suppose with your podcast you get to ask people even more nosy questions
1: yeah I mean
0: podcasting is brilliant because
1: you yeah you do so I've got this podcast called the solo collective which is another set of explorations around this whole thing of, of solitary work and um Yeah, it's brilliant because it's almost I mean, it's like therapy for me and sometimes for the people I'm talking to as well, like Henry Holland, um, the fashion designer said at the end of our session that it was like therapy because it was all about the end of his business. Well, not the end of the business. It hasn't closed. But when he sold House of Holland um, and um, stopped becoming associated with the brand. Um, it it was about what that does to your sense of identity and um, all of that kind of difficulty that comes with a bit of your business life ending. Um, And it was fascinating. And he said at the end, he was like, wow, this has been like an hour's worth of therapy. Thanks. (laughs) Um, But, you know, often it's an opportunity for me to learn something new about work and the way that we think about work as well. Um, And it can be quite kind of emotional Emotional and moving sometimes. sometimes. Um, But it's also just like a delight to sit down with somebody you don't know for an hour and just like quiz them so yeah yes. I mean I do I do have a great job it's not without its difficulty sometimes but it
0: it, it is I feel very lucky it's a privilege when you got off that um treadmill um when you're 34 35 what kind of made you decide what your niche was what what you were interested in what what helped you kind of slow it down and do you think it is important to have a niche of your own
1: I don't know whether it is important for everybody to have a niche. I I have a niche um, that I struggled with when I was younger. I definitely struggled with the idea of having food journalism be my niche because it wasn't really what I'd anticipated it would be. But the funny thing is that for all that I struggled with it then, I now really love it. But also because of writing solo, I suddenly got this opportunity to write about other things, too um and so I don't know what direction my career will go in next I don't know if I'm going to um you know I don't think I'm gonna I don't want to stop writing about food at all but um if the demand becomes higher for other stuff then food might sink away a little bit um I don't you know I'd find that strange to think that might happen but it could um so I guess one thing I've learned is to just not consider anything to be fixed you know a niche or um a path that you appear to be on everything changes um over the years so I'm less kind of fixated on kind of what one thing what one section of my career because the, I also run the photography studio with my husband and I also I'm about to start selling prints of his um art photography uh and you know I'm I also write cookbooks and I I'm also a mum and blah 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 so you know I think yeah. maybe the one thing that the book has taught me is that we're a we're very much a portfolio of identities and um, none of them are necessarily the biggest and most important one, but certainly the work that you do isn't the main part of it. Like, I think we've got this linguistic difficulty in English in that we'd say, I am a, I am a journalist, I am a bookkeeper, I am an accountant or whatever. Um, and that, that kind of encourages us to think about the, um, the job as being the kind of dead center of our lives, I think. Um And maybe one of the things that I've learned is that that simply isn't true about humans. We're a much more kind of um, multifaceted thing than that. So my hope would be that that might be something that other people could take from the the work that I'm doing. Not go down the same blind alleys as I did.
0: (laughs) Well, I suppose you have to make those mistakes to really yeah uh, yeah yeah (laughs) yeah just maybe make new ones (laughs) (laughs) and then I guess um being uh what is it like being a female journalist in today's environment were you ever even when you were younger were you ever intimidated by the whole um environment
1: Um, yeah, I, I have been quite lucky in most respects, as far as that goes, probably felt more intimidated in the restaurant industry 23 years ago um, than I ever have done in journalism. Um, I think that things are a lot better now. I think the level of banter and so on has kind of um, decreased in the kind of highly sexualized banter that maybe happened earlier in my career. Um I also think that I have cultivated a reputation as somebody who isn't that interested or likely to um applaud that kind of behaviour. Yeah. Um and I th- so I think I probably um, get less of it now than I than I used to because I'm more likely to just look at someone with disdain <laughs> rather than um, rather than kind of being um, I don't know a sort of silent bystander and and I hope that I'd be more likely to say something as well but I hardly ever see anyone. <laughs> At the moment, so I don't know. But you're you are can not judge my behavior. <laughs> you're ready, you're ready to go, whatever. It is. Yeah, right. I'm fired up and ready for a fight for sure. Um, I mean, I do I do think it's um I do think it remains interesting and true that um so many female journalists have to kind of cut their hours or change the way that they work in order to make their kind of childcare situations work. You know, I certainly don't think as an industry that has been um that has been resolved. Uh, I think a lot of women end up going freelance um, midway through their careers because mm. it functions better um, when you've got caring responsibilities. And I don't see quite the same number of men doing that. But I also don't want to tie all men with the same brush. My husband's freelance and he does a four day week so that he can look after our kids one day a week, and I look after them one day a week, and the rest of the time they're at school and nursery. So you know, it's a it's a very um, it's a very muddy and nuanced picture. And I think there's probably more opportunity for flexible working in journalism now than there ever has been and probably yeah. much more than in comparison to other industries um there's a long i mean there's just a long way for all of us to go isn't there with this stuff a hugely yeah. long way
0: and would you have any tips for young women going into the industry what to expect and
1: oh yeah. <laughs> i mean yes and no like like grit your teeth set your chin and and just keep going um don't get palmed off with soft stories if that's not the kind of work you want to do but equally if it is then that's that's fine and completely legitimate and arguably what I do (laughs) um uh yeah i don't know i used to wear a lot of really inappropriate clothes to the office i wish that i had been told very early in my career how one dresses for work for some (laughs) reason i never i never got that memo (laughs) so i think i think people are more clued up now this is an age before instagram and um, you Mm. know hardly any internet even god i'm so old um so maybe people are better at that stuff than me but learning how to be a kind of uh Learning how to be almost a grown-up, I think, mm. would be a good thing for men and women to do before up. they go into the kind of into their careers. Um maybe that, you know, there should be classes on that. Maybe there are. Are there classes like that? Did you have classes at university no. on like how to be an appropriate team member and I, how to function within a team and all of that stuff?
0: I had one in secondary school. Uh... I couldn't tell you what year it was. Couldn't tell you what age I was, but they did that. Um, but it's never been uh, reinforced in um, college, uh, I suppose, because college is about you know your responsibility and you know, these things. That... Yeah,
1: but I just think you don't like you don't yeah. really people really people have no idea how to be in a in a whether you're freelance or not in a professional situation. I, you know, I had to learn so much of it as I went along and that meant I made so many catastrophic errors at the beginning of my career and really quite far into it too. Yeah, Um, Um,
0: I had a friend actually recently and he was contacting a business uh, for an interview and um, he asked us to look over. Uh, the email before he sent it off and the beginning of the email it said dear brothers (laughs) that was his (laughs) address to this company yeah we kind of had to tear him down a little bit yeah
1: yeah but that I mean that's the stuff I just think there are there are you know minute pieces of information that we all need to have about how to do this stuff properly and I don't I'm not aware of any courses um, at university that really teach this stuff. Well, I'd love to know if there are, Um, you know, I, one of, one of my husband's assistants not long ago um, invoiced him on a bit of notepaper hand, you know, handwritten on a bit of notepaper, like no disrespect to him. He literally didn't know that that's not how you do it. Yeah. Um, And that, and we're happy to teach that stuff. That's fine. But he shouldn't be in a position where he's having to learn that, that kind of thing. On the job you know it should be yeah. that that information is easy to easy to find and just makes your whole um working beginnings much much
0: easier to navigate and then i suppose before we kind of close this up what are your plans for the future or right now like do you are you working on anything or are you just kind of doing your own thing for a while
1: Um, no, I've, so I just published another cookbook. Um, so I've written nine cookbooks now, possibly 10, I think it's nine. Um, and this one, um, is another in the series with the Leon, um, restaurant group and, uh, it's called happy guts so it's all about how to try and help your gut microbiome be as healthy as it possibly can um so that's I'm really excited about that people have been really enthusiastic about it so that came out last Thursday so I'm I'm kind of working on getting that out there into the world and then yeah I'm just doing my normal journalism um and hoping that my children's um school and nursery stay open and don't get closed (laughs) so that I can carry on working frankly um so yeah that's me for the rest of the year working as much as possible while also hoping that everything stays open
0: (laughs) because you don't want to go solo (laughs) being
1: solo but not solo is really difficult
0: I've discovered so yeah yeah. (laughs) that's a challenge and perfect and then how can people find you your work if they just want to ask you a nosy question like yourself
1: Uh, nosy questions all are welcome yep um so you can find out more about me and the book at how to you can find me on twitter at rebecca seal which is s-e-a-l or on instagram where i'm more likely to be um i am at bex seal which is b-e-x-s-e-a-l and the podcast is called the solo collective and we've just finished season one and we are just about tomorrow in fact to start recording season two
0: Oh that's great. Thank you. Exciting. Well Rebecca it was a lot of fun to talk to you today and thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me it's such a pleasure. No worries at all and I hope your season two of Solo the podcast goes well. Brilliant.